see the path to the championship. I can see it. Coca-Cola 600 belongs to Ryan Blaney. Blaney's learned how to win over the last couple of months. Blaney, Harvin, they spin behind him. It's going to be Blaney. We're going to win this thing. Ryan Blaney is going to win his way into the championship board. You have to run the perfect race to, to get it. Ryan Blaney is a NASCAR Cup Series champion. What an unbelievable year. What an unbelievable playoffs for us. This is the Team Blaney Podcast. Welcome everyone to episode 129 of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. This podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been following the drivers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades and Team Blaney itself launched on social media in 2014. Each weekly episode of the show offers an in-depth analysis of Ryan Blaney's latest NASCAR Cup Series race, plus news, notes, and special guest interviews all throughout the year. This week, we break down Team 12's run in the Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum in Los Angeles. Steve, welcome back. Season four of the Team Blaney podcast, already time to kick things off. I feel like we were just here, just in our seats, doing that top 10 moments of 2023 championship season. Amazing run, amazing year. All of that's gone now. We have to start fresh. What do you think? Oh, let's do it. This is the top first moment of this year. <laughs> <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. Um, obviously, I just said we're going to recap the clash at the Coliseum, but I want to tell people from the top of the show, do not uh, turn the, the show off after we finish our recap because we're going to have a first interview of 2024, kicking things off on a, in a big way as we finally welcome front tire changer Ryan Flores from Team 12 to the Team Blaney podcast for a really great interview. Goes on for about 45 minutes. He tells some really great stories, gives us some really great insight. And Steve, I know this is somebody that you've been wanting to get on here and talk to for a long time. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to say this now before we get to that part of the show. Um, great guy to have on. Um, a member of the team that is like the keystone, one of the keystone people for that team. Um, somebody that the younger guys will look up to and his perspective on everything is always so great. Um, you know, so glad he can give us some time because I want people to hear from him. If you don't watch or listen to his podcast, um, Stacking Pennies, uh, you're going to want to listen to him. Listen to, you know, how he, how he approaches things, how he attacks things, how they work on things as a team. Um, just a lot of great insight there and a really great guy, um, positive attitude, works hard at everything that he does. And, um, you know, I, I was so excited to have him on and I, I can't wait for everybody to, to get to hear, you know, hear, hear from him. So, like I said, stay tuned interview with Ryan Flores coming up right after our recap. And man, um, we're starting off the season Bushlight clash. It's, it's always a chaotic race. And then chaos just erupts Saturday night, the night that we're supposed to just get some practice, some heat races, it looked like going into the weekend that there's going to be a chance for some inclement weather and things got really serious to where um, you were even telling me they were telling people in the area on Sunday to not leave their homes, don't travel. There could be some catastrophic flooding going on. And then all of a sudden I'm texting you uh, about four hours, four or five hours before race time saying, hey, we're going racing tonight. NASCAR makes the decision to completely move the event up one full day, uh, running this whole event on Saturday night scrapping the heat races, going to this format where practice is qualifying and sets the lineup for the feature. Um, 
unfortunately just such a really chaotic start to the 2024 season. And it really just set the bar so low for me going into this event. Like I felt like I just had lost all my steam going into it. You know, the, the change in the format was the big thing because losing those heat races and the last chance qualifier um, was going to be bad for a couple teams. You know, there are a couple teams that may have been able to race through some, some issues, uh, including the, the provisional guy that we, you know, end up having, but um, that's the only thing I saw that was different. Um, I was kind of like all for it when I, when I found out they were going to do it because like uh, these guys are chomping at the bit to get, to get to Daytona, to tell you the truth. And uh, it, you know, the, the thing about it is that the, the practices as we see, as we'll talk about here soon, um, the track kept getting colder and uh, they colder to the, to the point where it wasn't actually getting any kind of grip. They were losing grip. Things were getting slower each session as you went along. So um, that was the only thing that was bad because you could make up for that with a good heat race, you know, afterward, but you know, pretty good. I, the, the day, as we find out the day overall ends up being really, really, really good. And uh, the racing um, for the, for the third year, the racing was actually probably better than it's ever been. Yeah. That's definitely the way that I came away from things thinking that the racing ended up great. Uh, I felt bad. We, you know, we had some fans of the show, um, fans of Ryan Blaney that were on site that were like, as practice kept going on saying like, it's getting cold. It's getting pretty cold out. Clouds are rolling in. I'm looking at radar and I'm like, oh man, there's actually already a chance of weather tonight. So they had to keep things moving. Unfortunately, all the pomp and circumstance is gone. They, they canceled the pre-race uh, festivities. They canceled the concert from Machine Gun Kelly at the halfway break. Um, we didn't get any sort of podium uh, finish ceremony after the race was over and very few interviews, unfortunately. So um, they had to push things through as fast as possible. As I've said a couple of times in this last few years for NASCAR, I feel so bad every time they do try to do some huge event like this. And it just seems like mother nature just does not want to cooperate. We've had it with Daytona 500s. We had it with the Coca-Cola 600 this past year. Um, so much momentum for the sport with that Netflix, Netflix documentary that was out there. So it was sad, but I have to say overall, my experience watching and enjoying the race, uh, was top notch and, um, let's get to that. Let's talk about practice and qualifying and the race, and let's see how things turned out for your defending NASCAR cup series champion, Ryan Blaney. Yeah. So, um, the way they were going to work, this was the, everybody got, an, uh, three groups, three sets of practices for each group. Um, eight minutes each practice, but now the third session, instead of it being eight minutes total, it, they split you up in half and then it was four, four minutes and four minutes. And those were your laps that your best lap ended up being your qualifying lap. So 22 top 22 by speed, were going to be chosen. Um, and then the 23rd will be the highest finisher from last year who didn't make the top 22. Um, once again, you know, as we now know, Ryan and, ends up being that guy. But yeah, and note that that was like the one of the first tweets I put out after I, I finally understood how everything was going to work. Just a tweet about Ryan uh, saying, you know, feels really good being uh, automatically locked into tonight's locked race in. no matter what. Yeah. So comes so, into play. Yeah. Um, so Ryan ends up in the third group. And um, like I said, there was 12, 12, 12, 12 guys in the first group, 12 guys in the second group, 12 guys in the third group. First time out, um, you know, the lap times as, you know, unlike a mile and a half track, the lap times actually get better as they go along and put heat in the tires. And, um, you know, they ended up by lap 19, they were 30th still. 
because they were in the last group and versus the other times. But by lap 26, they ran a lap time that only put them 0.158 back 14th. So if you took that first set of practices that everybody had and, you know, put them together, P14 is okay. It's not super. You want to be closer, but, you know, they ran 35 laps. Uh, At that point, the 11 was the fastest car. Um, It was actually the 11, the 20, and the 54 were the fastest cars. And what's interesting about that is later on is the 20 ends up not being one of the the top 22. but, uh, you know, you got your all three of your Gibbs cars there, and then the 19 was sixth. So it looked like the Gibbs already had some things figured out, at least to start the race. Um, they get to, uh, you know, in between there, listen a little bit, and um, Brian and Tim are discussing uh, how the lap times are getting slower in the second session. And uh, what was interesting is the, um, the Mexican NASCAR series ran practices before this. And they run a Hoosier tire. And uh, what Tim Tim and Ryan were talking about is the fact that the Hoosier tire put down some pretty good rubber for them to run on top of. But once again, the longer they were out there, they were actually, you know, picking it up and scrubbing it away. So I want to uh, note I, um, the Tim that you're referring to, and I can't remember if we talked about it in our top 10 episode, sorry. is Tim Fidua. That's going to be the new voice on the spotter stand for Ryan Blaney in 2024. Obviously, we said goodbye to Josh Williams last year with the championship. Good luck to him. But Tim Fidua, who's a, a veteran in the sport, former uh, Bush Series driver, successful driver there, been with Kevin Harvick for the past decade, moves over to spot for the 12 car. So if people thought sounded, things sounded a little bit different during the clash, that's why, uh, for a couple of reasons, <laughs> depending on how your scanner app was working. But yeah. um, that's who was on the spotters, well, on the spotters chair. I don't know where they were at, actually, were, at the Coliseum. Yeah. Most of, but it most was of them uh, were in between. Yeah, most of them were in between turns three and four up high. Um, and actually, we might as well go ahead and let, let people in a little thing there, too. Uh, We've done a couple interviews last week, and uh, you know this will be coming out uh, with with Ryan Flores and next week's episode. Uh, so stay tuned for that one, and make sure you you know like uh, not only like and review and all that stuff, but make sure you put us in your feed. You know, uh, subscribe to wherever it is that you get this because uh, next week uh, Tim Fidoa will be on the Team Planning Podcast, and we'll uh, get to hear a little bit more from him and you know. And uh, things that he, how he does things, and uh, it's it's a really nice little interview. Uh, you're going to want to hear. Um, so uh, you know the, the cars were knocking, literally knocking the, that rubber off the track at that point. Um, and then we did this little thing that the the twenty car, the twelve car, and the twenty one car tried to do a thing where they uh, went ahead and put the stickers on for the second session. They only ran half of the second session to put some heat in the tires. And they were hoping by putting that heat in the tires that it would be there for the third session for the, for the qualifying laps. Um, and the bad part about this is, like I said, they've split it up into four-minute segments. Technically, it's like six sessions. That's the way I did it. Group of six, group of six, group of six, yep. six times, you know. And Ryan was in that last group. And the track was cooling off. And the grip was going, you know was just not, you know, not there. The speed was not there in the track. The heat wasn't in the track for that speed. And all these things kind of like came together because the 20 car was in Ryan's group. And I think the 21 was also. And um, it did not work out for the 20, the 21, the 12. I mean, um, let's see, where did Ryan actually end up? Ryan actually ended up 
26th. Yeah, 26th, I think. And it was point, you know, this is, this is so minuscule. It's 0.375 back of the leader. Um, One-tenth of a second puts him into the top 22 easily, you know, but like I said, 26th, uh, and it's just kind of like, it was something that should have worked on a normal weather condition kind of day and worked really well probably, uh, but it but it didn't. But it was also a move you could try to make because you knew you were in the show either way. Yeah. Um, this so, whole thing was interesting because each one of these groups went out and it was like within the last minute of their four minutes to run qualifying laps is when they would set their fast time. So you mentioned like that's why they tried to go with the scuffed tires because they thought maybe they'd get a little – extra heat in the tire it would heat up earlier they could run have more opportunities to run faster laps but like we said you know reports from the area the area was the air was getting colder the track was getting much colder and they were the last ones out on track so uh, i mentioned it was felt really really good knowing that the you know being the top in points in 2023 is what got you that 23rd starting position in this race and the 12 team had to use it and um, by the end of this thing they took advantage of the opportunity uh, the 11 car ends up on the pole, the 22, you know, uh, outside pole. Um, once again, Ryan starts 23rd of this. Um, some really nice uh, surprises. The seven car did a good job making sure he made the show. Uh, the six car did it on his final lap. Yep. Uh, really, really good. The 51 made it. Uh, the 15, you know, so there were a couple guys in there that, you know, bumped some guys that, you know, that uh, the TV broadcast kept showing you. Yeah. You know. The guys Some that big, got bumped. Big names yeah. didn't make the show. I mean, you have Christopher Bell, who was hoping Blaney would jump up in there at the last minute and, and just qualify in on time because Bell probably would have got the provisional. I think you had Eric Jones. Um, you had Daniel Suarez. I mean, these are some big teams that had drivers falling awesome. out. There's a Sin- Austin Cinderick, a teammate. That's mm-hmm. true. Uh, Harrison Burton. We did have uh, almost a Cinderella story with Josh Williams, who's running uh, part-time for Josh Williams, a driver that's running part-time for colleague racing was just off by one position. Time was so, so, so close. So um, he put they, on a good showing for, for his first ride in that car. They showed you the, the uh, overlay with him in the 14 car. And it's literally like a foot. It's a foot of difference that uh, the 14 beat him by. So um, yeah, you know, so, you're starting 23rd and you're thinking, well, you know, and Adam and I are texting back and forth like we do. And, and, you know, you don't set expectations real high. You know, there's going to be a lot of bumping around, but the one thing that is different this year is you weren't going to have as many cars on track. Um, and I thought, you know, with a couple cautions, because you know, the cautions of gathering the field back up and then getting the lap traffic and that makes a difference. It bunches the field up. Oh, no. I predicted I predicted what I predicted, Adam. You predicted a top five on, you yeah, predicted sorry. it to me via text and also on the social medias. So um, yeah. I could not have had my bar set lower. <laughs> um, <laughs> I already wasn't really excited going into this weekend. Um, I thought the first two clash races were kind of cool. Um, this one, I was like, I don't know, maybe third. It's starting to run its course. Then Ryan goes out and doesn't qualify well, has to take the provisional. And all I'm seeing is him driving through the field and then getting dumped on a late caution. And it just doesn't matter. And me being sad. So um, because he's had some issues the last two races where, you know, he's gotten to the front at points and then been dumped. So um, my bar was set so, so low. And honestly, that makes me very, very thankful that I did that because it turned into such a really fun night Mm -hmm. and race to experience. So. Yeah, um, the uh, radios on the NASCAR app, uh, 
if you went to the number 12, it was actually the number 14. So you had to go to the number 11, and the number 11 was actually the 12. So we found him uh, halfway through practice. We found him, and uh, um, so they go uh, to the to the race itself, 150 laps in two 75-lap segments, and only the green flag laps count, which, you know, makes it real interesting because um, you get, uh, you know, these long red fl- – it's red flag. It's not technically yellow flags, and uh, – that none of those laps are counting, uh, but they, they did run some long green green flag race segments too. So. Um, so we're starting off shotgun on the field here. Ten laps in, he's up. You know, he's in twenty third, but on lap thirteen, we passed the forty two car. Uh, on lap twenty three, passed the ten car, and we're up to twenty first with the leader closing here. Um, you know, and this is the thing is the eleven's leading at this point, and he's you know coming in, you know, gaining, you know. But uh, a couple of things like Tim was talking about is room to arc your turn, uh, arc to the turn. So I'm uh, really worried about what the guy behind you is doing only because he may punch you and you don't want to let him punch you in a way that's on an angle. You want to try to get him lined up. So um, a little bit of the instruction was basically to make sure if you were going to do arc into the turn that you had enough room to do it without getting hit from a side angle, you know, um, at, uh, you know, lap uh, 30 here, the 5 and the 42, I'm sorry, lap 35, not 42 and the 12 are like swapping spots right in front of the leader. And Ryan is talking about everything's kind of getting hot with the brakes. Um, lap 42, we pass the 47, get to 20th. Lap 46, pass the 38 and get to 19th. So now we've taken a two, couple cars and put them between us and the leader, which is kind of cool. Um, and it kind of says the 7 will hold you up when you get here. But you know what to do. You know what you got to do. He tells them, which I love that. Um, so at lap forty nine, we go ahead and pass the seven, get to eighteenth. Uh, lap fifty, uh, the fifty four is leading. We, I, you know, sometimes kind of didn't pay attention or notice when the when the actual pass happened. But at lap fifty, the fifty four is is excuse me in the lead. At lap sixty, we pass the six, get to seventeenth. At lap sixty six, we're now chasing the forty one car. And at lap 70, we get a caution for the 38. Uh, Ryan says the brakes are getting a little bit soft because they're getting hot here with that the rotor. Um, the choose cone on this, the leader taking the bottom, 54. And Ryan is in 17, taking the top, the restart. Um, the 22 takes the lead off the 54 on the restart here. And Ryan's up to 16. At lap 75, we pass the 34 and get to 15. Uh, the 42 then spins out in turn four. Uh, Ryan says, my rear drive is better than everyone else's. So, you know, he, once again, knows the car is pretty good. Yeah. And um, I was going to mention like just his radio traffic in that first caution in the second caution. And I, I don't know if it was like the same mentality, like I had, like, you know, there's only up to go from here. <laughs> like, you know, so he was just positive, like the whole race, like he was having a good time. He was having fun passing cars. Like, you know, like I think you said earlier about the racing, that like the racing was like a little bit different. There's still a little bit of beating and banging, but um, you know, he's getting through pretty, pretty clean for the most part. And this is where it was just fun. I was just watching him pick off car after car after car and it doesn't stop. Um, the, during this time, Jonathan asks him about the, what the problems are. They say rear grip, being able to power down quicker. Um, and uh, they're trying to cool the temps, you know, and we get, um, 
Ryan, uh, 22 taking the bottom, Ryan taking the top at this point, and we think we're at the halfway, but here we have a caution again. So, yeah, with one lap left. <laughs> um, but then the 22 finishes P1 at, at the end of the, st at the end of, I don't know, it's not a stage, but the end of the break there. And Ryan finishes 15th. Um, now, I, once again, I, I watch in-car camera, um, and uh, it's funny because it's Raymond, Raymond Fox III, who we had on our show here uh, two years ago, uh, he gets out in front of the car and you can kind of, you can't really read lips very well, but you can kind of see he's talking to Ryan. And then uh, one of Raymond's guys from his crew go over to what would be the right front. And uh, they take the tire, taking the tires off, changing some things that they're allowed to change. Uh, they lift, literally lift the hood and start working in that area above the rotor. Um, and even when they get to the end of the, of the segment there, uh, they close the hood and you can see uh, Ryan, um, I'm sorry, uh, Raymond and his assistant are kneeled down in front of the car and you're like watching them and you're thinking, you know, cause you're only looking at the one view, you know, it's through the front and it's like, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? Well, when they get up and they both got like one of the little blowers in their hands, they were blowing into the front brake ducts uh, areas is what they were doing. Trying to, trying to cool that area. Yeah. So, that's definitely the whole goal of that break because if they showed it on TV too, Logano, who's leading the race, his rotors in the front were cherry red. They showed Ryan's at one point as well. Same deal. So showing you that Penske kind of came in with whatever brake package it was, because not every single car was like that, but a lot of cars were like that. And some cars were like that spun out and were out of the race because they had failures. So mm -hmm. I was a little bit concerned, but seeing how fast the 22 was, seeing how fast the 12 was, I'm like, if they can just manage this situation, if he can hang you know lay back when he can try to keep things as cool as possible and this break i'm sure definitely helped that uh for sure with the way they had those blowers down in there and they're trying to do their best to impact the temperatures as yeah. best as they can and um i think they did they did a pretty good job and again at this break you know ryan's pretty upbeat about the way the car was handling and you know what they could do going forward yeah so um leaders 22 at this point taking the bottom ryan from 15th is taking the bottom restart lap 76 here um yeah, Tim says something about use the good pedal, which I thought was kind of a cool little thing. Um, the nine uh, has an issue here. And at, at the same time that he's having an issue, um, we get this caution with the 45 hitting the 23 and the one and the 34 getting kind of caught up in there. Um, and all that's going on. And Ryan's up to 11th because all these goofy little things. I mean, it's not a heavy damage situation, but. But this is that situation I was talking about. Bubba Wallace, who had a magical run in qualifying, honestly shot up the leaderboard with his last lap that got him into a transfer position to qualify for the race in the first place, raced his way up, you know, pretty high up in this field there. And he just gets punted by somebody that got punted, which actually was his teammate. So, mm -hmm. I mean, th that is what I feared. I'm like, you know, Ryan could sit on the pole for this race and have that happen to him or Ryan could drive through the field and at any moment have that happen to him. So I'm going back to the reason why I set my bar so low as far as expectations go, because I know how, what can happen in this race historically. The difference I would say in this race and past races and past races that happened constantly in this race, it only happened a few times. Yeah. Um, so we're restarting uh, with um, 78 to go, the 22 taking the bottom, Ryan and 11th taking the bottom. Um, then we get a caution for the one spinning, uh, and 45 has a restart violation. Um, Ryan's actually in 12th at this point, and the 54 is leading. But the 54 takes the bottom, Ryan takes the top, and uh, we restart lap 78 again and lap 80 uh, up to 11th at lap 85, passing the 51 up to 10th. 
At lap 90, passing the 48 up to ninth. At lap 100, passing the 24 up to eighth. Lap 105 passes the 41 up to seventh. Lap 113 passes the five up to sixth. Lap 128 passes the 19 up to fifth. Now, all that was so much fun to watch on an in-car camera because you're watching out the front end of the car. What's really cool about it is sometimes you get behind a guy for a little bit and the car in front of that guy gets away a little bit. So every time Ryan makes this pass, he might be another second behind a guy and within four or five laps, he's closed that gap. That's how much faster he was um, than, than the guys in front of him most of the night. Um, a lap 140, the 34 spins out, causing a caution here. And um, we've got the 54 lean, lean, leaning in, Ryan up to fifth. Uh, and they now Tim and Ryan discuss a little bit about what to do because, you know, inside line is usually the better line because the outside line gets railroaded. Uh, you know, where they, where they get inside of you and, you know, railroad uh, train right by you. And the thing is, is if you can run the outside line pretty decent and hold that inside line down where they can't come off the turn the way they want to, uh, you can pin them a little bit, but you hope for a gap at some point. So you get single file at some point. Um, but Ryan says, if I can get to P4, which is, you know, second row on the, on the outside, he's going to take it. Um, so the 40, 54 takes the bottom and Ryan does end up getting to the second row. He goes, so he's all the way up to what would be P4. And uh, Tim Tim says, do your thing, which is a really cool thing to hear. Um, <clears throat> so they restart with 10 to go here, and it sorts out to P4. Um, at lap, with like seven to go, the 11 takes the lead. And with three to go, Ryan's up to P3. Like, you know. And really good restart. This, yeah, then we get this caution for the 54. Unfortunate. <laughs> So where you know, I wanted it to go green. The way the 12 was passing green. guys under green, yeah. which wanted it to stay green the rest of the way. Yeah, so yeah, because he was running third behind the 11 and the 8 at that point. And once again, they're, ta- they're discussing what to do with the choose again. Um, and, uh, you know, they have to finish under green. So who knows if somebody spins somebody out within those last two laps again. Uh, the, the leader of the 11 took the bottom. And the 8 car took the bottom. Ryan got to go to the front row. So now you're really, really in that position where it's going to take something goofy to happen. It really is. It's going to have to take the two guys on the inside of you beating and banging in such a manner that you you get lucky and can get by them as they're messing with each other. Um, but also you got to kind of hold off what's behind you, try to get to a gap below you if possible, and there's only a couple laps to do all that. So, um, you know, the only thing Tim says is make sure you don't go before him. You don't want to restart zone violation because that's the other thing. You can kind of cozy up to him, but you can't go till he goes. And then, you know, if you get a good jump, you know, maybe you can pin them down. Um, the last, those last couple laps were exciting as heck to watch on TV. Um, he did get his way into third and, 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 uh, you know, the 11 ends up winning the eight ends up finishing second. Um, but it's a podium finish because it's something cool. They do at, at the clash they were doing, you know, they get a, they get a bronze medal for finishing third. And, uh, you know, you know, Ryan tells job, Tim, they did a great job on, on the radio all night. Can't wait to work this season with them. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty good finish. I thought, you know, considering where they started, um, uh, go from 20th, 23rd to third as a, you know, heck of a night, especially since those laps really did tick off pretty good. Um, the, the cautions when they had them really do, you know, kind of suck when they do have them, but 
There were stretches where they ran 40 or 50 laps in a row, and that's pretty good. That's what you want to see. You want to see them get strung out. You want to see the lap traffic. You want to see how the guys handle lap traffic. And uh, Ryan, like I said, once again, once he passed somebody, it's if he had a second gap within four or five laps, he was right up behind the next guy. So a lot of fun to watch that. Yeah, I just have to say, like, this is one of those races, and everybody knows it, that, like, doesn't really mean much if you win it. No points. Um, I mean, even the money, I'm not even sure, is that big. Um, and if you do bad, if you don't even make the race, it also doesn't mean anything because again, there's no points. There's not really a ton of money on the line and you can just say, ah, it's just an exhibition who cares. So, but the fact that they were able to go in and drive all the way through the field and finish on the podium, I've already seen some of the photos on social media. We didn't get to see it on TV, but there's some photos of Ryan with his medal. Um, and kind of celebrating that podium finish as much as he could. And, uh, um, that momentum, I think it means something, you know, they had the momentum of the championship. Then they have this off season break. Um, you're always worried about like how they're going to kick off the season. So um, I'm definitely glad we're not in that, like, you know, excuse mode of, uh, you know, they had a horrible clash, but it doesn't mean anything. Daytona is all it means, but the fact that they drive through the field, a really great night. Um, the team had an opportunity, especially driver spotter to work together for the first time, get to know each other a little bit better. Um and they come away with that that third place finish and a lot of momentum headed into the Daytona 500 weekend. So um, that was I don't know, it was just fun. It's it's so fun. Like mm-hmm. I said, I'm gonna say it again for the 15th time. Such a low bar, uh, I think helped create that fun for me. Um, I'm trying to decide, and I think I already kind of said I thought the racing was good, but I'm like trying to think like you know if Ryan didn't have this good of a run, like would I have thought the racing was good? And I think I would have because we mentioned you know they. They raced a little bit better together. There wasn't as much people taking each other out. There wasn't as much, you know, pull moves or pinball moves of everybody hitting each other. And then the guy, you know, four cards ahead of you spin. So um, I think that was great. Um, do you think this is the last year? I mean, it, it's unfortunate for the clash to go out in LA on such a downer as far as the weekend goes, uh, much like Chicago where all the entertainment gets canceled and rain impacts things. Um, I hate to see it end this way. But I also feel like it's time to change things up once again, and I hope they find a suitable venue that's not just going back to Daytona uh, to hold this race. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what else you do next or where else you go, or maybe you go to Mexico. You go to Mexico City. They got an Olympic Stadium. Me too, there. But overall, um, yeah, it's, it's 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 run its course. You know, there's something to it that's like it's you're not going to see much more different than this now. And um, once again, because it's not for any, you know, any points or anything like that, it's not really like a, you know, something you can definitely go ahead and do, try something else somewhere else, try to just do something innovative just to try something out to see how, you know, how it works. So yeah, it, it just kind of run its course. I don't know what they, what you do next, um, but yeah, let's see what happens next year. Yeah, it's almost like I think I said to you before, if they don't do it at the Coliseum again, I hope they just don't do it at all for a couple of years and then come back in a few years and make a big splash somewhere else. Or I've heard a really great idea of going to different short tracks around the country and putting the one to two million dollars in that they spent building a track inside the football stadium and putting that money, infusing that money into a a local short track somewhere and having a really exclusive clash event where, you know, maybe only, you know, 5,000 people can go to because short track grandstands aren't that big and, and also help that community. I don't know that that will ever happen either because of infrastructure and things like that, but um, that would be cool. So my 
suggestion would be to uh, not run it at all, come back and make a splash. But unfortunately, I think TV executives and people at Fox make those decisions <laughs> and uh, um, well above our non-pay grade that we have currently. <laughs> so we have we have no decision-making power in that. But I will say, it just I felt like t- tonight's event or Saturday night's event really captured the fun that I had in the very first event when there were so many unknowns that um, I came away with a smile. Again, really glad that the 12 team performed in that. So, Steve, what do you think? First race recap of the season. How'd it go? That's awesome. It's, uh, you know, something we we got a little bit of a pattern last year at the end of the year about qualifying versus the race, you know. Don't worry about qualifying. <laughs> right? So just once you line it up, you know how good they are. You know how good the team is, and you definitely know how good the driver is. And uh, they just proved that again, basically. that's They had everything ready to go. Even with the situation changing, that car was uh, obviously, like I said, he spoke well of the car there, uh, except for the things they were going to try to adjust at the halfway break. But uh, that, that you know, I can't wait to see what the what the the, the new uh, the new nose does in uh, in two weeks. Um, so let's let's get it uh, lined up. Let's get it going. So again, if this was your first time listening to the Team Blaney podcast, this is kind of how the first parts of our weekly shows go. We talk almost lap by lap at times, pass by pass. There weren't pit stops uh, in this episode, but we usually kind of go through and analyze pit stops, what went well, what didn't go well, or why things happened, why things didn't happen. Uh, We try to give you some behind the scenes knowledge that we can pick up from listening to the scanner and really following the race, watching the in-car cameras, stuff that maybe TV wouldn't give you. So that's kind of our goal. Um, because the TV, unfortunately, can't be on the 12 car at all times than just telling you about their race. So that's our goal week to week. So if you're really interested in that, if you like that, as Steve said, subscribe to us and uh, we can bring that to you every single race week. And the other thing that we get to bring to you that's really fun is throughout the season, we try our best to talk to as many people associated with team Penske and the 12 crew that we can, that we think would come in and give you some really great analysis and stories and history and uh, insight into the workings of Ryan Blaney's crew. Um, We've had crew members, we've had crew chief, we had Ryan Blaney himself on in the past season and we're happy in 2024, our first episode of the year to welcome Ryan Flores, the front tire changer for Ryan Blaney's championship winning number 12 pit crew to the team Blaney podcast. Ryan, thanks. Uh, thanks for giving us some of your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Steve and I have been uh, big fans of yours. I know you've been kind of on and off Ryan's car over the years. Um, but also big fans of your uh, your own podcast there, Stacking Pennies. Avid listeners of that. And uh, avid fans of your work out there on the 12 crew. Um, we know it's a grueling schedule for you guys. Sometimes it's a thankless job. But um, just know that there's plenty of fans out there that are really appreciative of what you guys do week to week. Yeah, I think as I, you know, I was just thinking about it as you were talking, I think this will be my 18th season travel. And I think I've spent almost half of that with Ryan. So I've been with, you know, like we said, back and forth when we, when we all went through that big switch um, to Brad's team, but back with Ryan now, and I've spent the majority of my career with him. So let's talk a little bit about your career. Um, We've had several crew members come on and it's always interesting hearing their stories, but what was kind of maybe your first um, introduction into racing or what kind of got you into the sport in the first place? Yeah, my dad was um, 
street stock racer back in New Jersey. He raced kind of everything, started with bicycles. He was first generation racer, started with bicycles, motocross, and then um, we grew up in New Jersey by a track called Wall Stadium. So that kind of became home. And uh, we started, I started driving when I was five years old and um, I've just raced all the, raced all the way through. And um, yeah, just grew up. I'm, I'm a little bit different than, than like the rest of our picker guys who are athletes now. I, I moved down here and uh, right after high school, my goal was always to work for a race team. Um, when I realized I didn't have enough money to drive uh, anymore. So yeah, I've been on the been on the road ever since. Right right after high school, been on the road since I was nineteen. So been in the cup garage uh, for damn near half my half my life. <laughs> How do you get into racing though? Like, I mean, you, your dad was doing it. I mean, did he give you like some rules of like how how you're going to progress, or <clears throat> you know, were you you know kind of given some tools? Did you learn how to build a car from the ground up? That kind of thing, maybe. Yeah. So like my dad. Um, growing up, like I said, he was a street stock guy. So that was back in the days of, um, like if you wrecked on Saturday night, you were in the junkyard on Sunday pulling parts out, right? You didn't just go to like all-star motor state and then order a spindle. Uh, that, that's not how that worked. So we were fortunate right there by wall stadium. There was a junkyard called Osborne's auto records. And I spent many of Sundays in there with Glenn Osborne, the guy that owned it. My dad would be, you know, taking spindles off or, lower control arms and i'd be riding around in the uh in the car like in the excavator we'd be picking up cars and crushing them and that was you know my earliest memories of just getting you know just going racing and i was always kind of i always even like if my dad was racing and my mom couldn't go to the track i would bum a ride with my aunt or one of my friends i was always at the racetrack and and the, the you know the first rules were you go into wall stadium you don't go outside that gate and when the gate you know you, you don't when you go in the gate you don't go outside and at the end of the night, you come into pits and go to the trailer. So I think from about five years old on, I was in the grandstands some nights uh, by myself just running around. But it takes a, you know, I'm starting to learn myself. It takes a village to raise a kid. And everybody at Wall Stadium growing up was kind of my village. Um, and, yeah, that was it. We, you know, we started dr- driving quarter midgets uh, just like Ryan did um, at five and progressed through that until I was 14 and, and we did move up and, and ran some big car stuff. Uh, <clears throat> and that's when I really had to start just learn how to work on the stuff myself. Um, we, I came from a family that my, my cousin Keith, he was a fabricator. He had a fabrication business in New Jersey. Um, my dad obviously built his own race cars <clears throat> and I started working for uh, the Blewett family uh, as well. Jimmy and John Blewett, who were a pretty yeah. prominent New Jersey uh, racing family. So it was trial by fire pretty quick there. So let's talk about this move from New Jersey to North Carolina. We, like I mentioned before, we've talked to several crew guys, and some of them always have an interesting story. Like, I just packed my bags. I knew this is what I wanted to do. I moved to North Carolina. I slept on so-and-so's couch. You gave me a tip to go over to this place and knock on their door. I know things were a lot different when you were there than they are now uh, when you're trying to get into actually work with the NASCAR team. So what was the progression there coming from New Jersey into North Carolina? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't think it's, it's not really a secret. My dad battled addiction quite a bit um, in my early teenage years and my parents ended up getting split up and there was like a broken home. And I kind of like, my mom always did a great job, but I, I just kind of always wanted to be racing and just get away from, you know, uh, uh, 
that whole kind of mess of a, of a nasty divorce. And that's where I found myself with the Blewett staying on their couch and going racing with the Molesworths. We'd come down to North Carolina to run the summer shootout and just, I would just go my, my way to get out of there was just to go racing. And it, it didn't really get much better um, into my teenage years uh, when I, when I got to the point where I was graduating high school and it was kind of a clear cut to me that I needed to get out of New Jersey. And I just wanted to race. Like racing was like my escape. Um, so I told everybody that after Turkey Derby in 2006, I was packing my bags and leaving. And I've always been like, if I say something, I'm going to do it. Like I'm not, I'm not going back on my word. And I said, I was doing it and a day came and my mom woke me up. She's like, you don't have to leave, you know? And I was like, no, I said I was doing it. And so I packed up my Dodge Magnum with a little toolbox in the back. And I moved down here. My buddy, uh, my buddy's Duncan and Patrick Molesworth had bought a house on the lake actually in Mooresville back when you could find little houses on yeah. the lake for a hundred grand um, before all the lots were bought up down here. And I moved down here and I started working on legend cars for the Pistone family. And uh, I just, went around to, I uh, literally lived on their couch, speaking of living on couches. And I, yep. I went around to every shop. I would just drive around Mooresville and get lost. I didn't know a damn person here. Um, and I just had a chance lunch with a guy, Chuck King from New Jersey, that it kind of was a friend of a friend. I would drive through Mooresville through all the shops and look at all the shops and drop off resumes. And at this one lunch at Subway, I met, just gave a resume to a guy from Roush and I actually got a phone call. Um, to you know to probably two weeks later and he's like hey we saw your resume uh can you come in for an interview and i went in there and he had all these resumes stacked up on the floor and he's like see this file and there's the ones that didn't make it and then there was like 10 on his desk he's like see this file these are the ones that did make it and yours is on top and i was like it's kind of like holy crap you know that's like it was kind of surreal and he's like at 19 years old i think you've done more racing than most of the people we have um and they liked me because i was spotted and that was kind of an option, but I, I got catapulted right into at 19. I didn't know that there was two five thirties in a day. And, uh, my first job was working at the Roush finish fab shop on the cup cars. And man, we worked in that finish fab shop. We started yeah. at six 30. So that was a 5. AM wake up call to get from Mooresville to Concord. And, and you didn't just start at six 30. You were, the music got turned on in the fab shop at 6.30 and you were working. If you got there past 6.15, you were late. So I really, that was like, um, I was there for four years and I equated going to college. And when I went in, when I went into Roush there, I could build side skirts. When I left, I could MIG weld, TIG weld, fabricate anything, change tires. I was on the road with Jamie McMurray in the 26 car. I learned how to do tires, learned how to be a road mechanic. It was just, I was like a sponge. Um, so it was a, I'd say Roush was kind of like my uh, college degree. What were the steps between Roush and then to Penske? Because I think in, at least uh, a big chunk of your time uh, that you've talked about before is at Stuart Haas Racing. Yeah, so at Roush, um, like I said, at Roush, I, would, I was on this uh, group called the Lunch Bunch. So it was literally the guys that worked in the shop that wanted to be picker guys, but weren't athletic enough and nobody really had time for it, so you could go out on your lunch break and use the pit equipment um so yeah on the i was on the lunch bunch and i wasn't gonna get moved off of it because they just wanted me to be a fabricator there which i understand so i had got i ended up 
getting a job at store Haas as the backup tire changer. And I, and I was in the aero group as well. I've always kind of leaned on. I don't know that I was like talented enough as a tire changer off the bat to make it. So I had to lean on like my fabrication skills and my mechanic skills and my, you know, overall racing knowledge to hang on long enough to become good enough to change tires. So, um, I was a backup tire changer and I was in the aero group and I was a road, I would go on the road and be a fabricator on the 14 car. Actually in 2011, I left Roush and end of 2010, 2011, I started, um, started there and that's kind of where I got my, I would say my master's degree. Yep. I was there for three years. Um, I was with Tony the first year we won the championship. It was just surreal. It was like, it was a great group of guys. Um, the next year Danica came in, she ran a part-time schedule. I changed tires for her and uh, my first full-time tire changing gig was with actually with Robbie Benton and his team, Alex Bowman drove that car. Um, I was actually changing fronts and rears kind of swapping back and forth. And then uh, my third year there, <clears throat> I got moved on to Newman's car. So I did about three quarters of the season with Newman and uh, it just kind of became apparent that I had kind of the, the, the shop had kind of changed and I had kind of changed and it was time to go on. And there was an opening at Penske and uh, I've been there ever since. So as you get the Penske now that, you know, we know, we know of you right now, but there were still steps along the way at Penske too. I mean, you've kind of went, how did you get with Ryan? Was it Ryan right off the bat or were you with another team first? Yeah, no, then... I got, I got hired there <clears throat> to be on the two car with Paul Wolf and I'd kind of gotten hurt and they were developing a new pit gun and it just did not work. It did not work for me at all. And I was on the two car all off season and went to the Daytona 500 and just had a terrible speed week. I actually ended up getting pulled off the car in Daytona. Um, once again, you know, learning through that experience had, uh, had to cling on to my mechanic. I was a mechanic at Penske as well. I worked in the shop. And that's kind of what kept me around and kept me relevant, but I had to fight back. And, and it was, you know, looking back at it, it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Obviously I missed out on some wins with Brad uh, through that time, but I was with Ryan all through the truck series, all the Xfinity wins. I mean, I think we won me, Chris Conklin, me, Chris Conklin and Andrew Lackey, who you've had Chris on here. And Andrew Lackey is the gas man on the two car now. Cause Chris was our Jack man. Chris was a phenomenal Jack man too at the time, but we had so much fun with that 22 Xfinity car. I think we won like five championships throughout the course of it and so many race wins. Um, and, you know, we got to grow with Ryan and we did that 21 deal, which I, I will forever be grateful for that. That uh, being on that 21 deal with Eddie Wood and going up there with Lynn and Leonard and Glenn and then showing us around Stort that first time when we all kind of merged and we're going to go race uh, that part-time schedule for them. That was, that was such a cool deal. Like I, that, that's like top notch NASCAR. It doesn't get any better than that. Um, to me, that's like NASCAR royalty, those guys. So to, so to be around them and then, you know, Jeremy Bones will tell you this. I single-handedly will take credit for the 99th win at Pocono. Um, I had a loose wheel to start the race. If you go back and watch this, we did right sides, first pit stop of the day. I had a loose right front. I maybe had three loose wheels my whole career. That was one of them. It put us on a different strategy where we were the yeah. first car on four tires, beat Martin Truex out of the pits. And I'm not saying that it was my <laughs> fault, but I'm not saying it wasn't my fault that we won that race. 
that's, and it's still the I, yeah i don't remember that uh, that part of it at the beginning of the race the first first pit stop it was first pit stop and just... oh yeah i'll never yeah I, I will never forget it i promise you that um but yeah that was i mean what a cool just what a what a cool memorable thing to be a part of and i wish we could have got 100 with them as a group because our group was yeah. so strong um our group was just so strong such a good team and it was just such a good mix of like penske guys and the funny part was like kirk almquist you know kirk was the guy that was stomping on ricky rudd's hood um back in the day and they were like i remember walking to my brother's shop and leonard wood was or len wood was like weren't you jumping on hood in my race car a couple of years ago because he was with kevin harvick when they got in a fight <laughs> at richmond and just to be there for those conversations man like i I, as much as anything, I'm a student of the sport and a fan of the sport. And it's just so cool to see all that come together. And uh, that that is one that I, I will cherish forever. The teams, uh, a, a little bit after that, when you get kind of, there's the crew chief swap. Is that what happened when the, when the guys got moved around there for a little bit and you end up on a different team? Yeah, they just switched all of our, like everybody's team. Um, I think that, you know, they, they Roger, we just... I don't know. It's well above my pay grade. They just pretty much tell me what fire suit to wear and which one to jump out in front of. Um, but yeah, we got switched. We were with Brad for, for two years. And then Austin, I was with Austin for half a season. And then, uh, it kind of jumbled up the 12 car and I got, you know, we moved some guys around and I got put back on the 12 car. Um, and I've been there for the last year and a half. Yeah. I would what say did you, May 11th. Uh... I don't say yeah. May eleventh, uh, twenty twenty two, because if you Google your name and put news, it comes. Uh, it's like the first ten things is is that date uh, that they made the switch. I can tell you where I was because I was. Uh, we had one Daytona five hundred. Um, that pit crew that I was on, it was the first year one lug nut. Mm-hmm. Those guys were like my best friends: Pat Gray, Jesse Mills, Andrew Lackey. Like I said, they're like my best friends. Uh, the twelve was really having a hard time just with even getting along. And I was outside watering my plants. We had just gotten back from the zoo. And Ray Gallahan, our pit coach, called me and said, hey, man. I don't know if you ever know Ray. Hey, man. How's it going? And I'm like, are you firing me or something? And he goes, <laughs> well, well, kind of. I'm like, what? Well, you're getting fired from the two car and you're on the 12. I'll see you tomorrow. And he just like, I was like, oh, is my whole team? Nope, just you. And that was like, I was like, okay. Um, and I, you know, that was, uh, I, I have worked with the 12 car guys, like Dave Nichols mule is the first, one of the first tire guys that I ever worked with 17, 18 years ago. Right. And, and a lot of those guys, like I totally like, if you look up Ray, like Raymond Fox yeah, and you see like the badass pictures of him with Davey, I was like, that team is a bunch of like, I don't mean to overuse the term, but it's a bunch of dudes. And, uh, yeah, it's been it's been really cool to grow with them. Um, you guys, listen, the struggles that we all had early, they're documented well. Uh, but we all worked through it together, and we all came out of it the other side. And, and that's you know that's why when it came down to the stretch and it was time to win a championship, there was nobody on our team that wasn't ready for that and wasn't surprised because we had worked through all of the situations. Yeah, I was going to say you've mentioned previously, I think even on Stacking Pennies that. Uh, you described working on the 12 crew as like the hardest crew to work on, on pit road. And it might not, it's not necessarily chemistry or team wise. It's just 
the the chatter from the outside. So do you guys pay attention to any of that? Do you, do you see guys just shut down social media and stay away from it? Because it's really easy for fans to make, you know, have knee jerk reactions to things. And it's, it's always funny to me when you guys get blamed or they say that, you know, pit crew's bad when it's like actually like a strategy call that was made. Like, how do you, how do you guys let you know that stuff kind of bounce off of you or does it, does it affect you sometimes? I don't know how this is going to be taken, but I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there in the universe for all the Blaney fans to hear. Blaney fans are the absolute worst on Twitter ever. Right. Like, I don't know. I've worked for a couple different drivers, but like I would get to the point where like, I remember leaving Martinsville one time and I was like, Oh, Let's read some mean tweets. Let's meet. Let's (laughs) let's read some mean tweets here, boys. And Chris Conklin was like, "Stop it! Please stop reading this," because it was just like hurting his feelings. Um, I I think there was a couple Martinsville races that that happened like Mm -hmm. that there, but you know, there's there's times for sure. Like, look, we are professionals. There is no higher level of training than what we have at this job. I assure you, I know that I suck before you know that I suck. Like I'm living it. And that being said, I, I don't, the 12 car was one of the hardest cars to pit just because it was like, we would find new and interesting ways to lose races. And it was just a lot of the stuff was stuff that you couldn't prepare for. It was like, wait, what? Like the pip, the pip sign fell broke and fell off and got, the hose stuck under the car, like what? And that was just like every week. And what we didn't do well, and Ryan will admit that he didn't do well either, is we didn't handle those problems the best of our ability. We let those problems take us out of the race, right? And then we have a guy named Jeremy Boone uh, who we work with, and he brings up a lot of different stories, but he, he gave us a book, and actually Hassler gave us all this book at the beginning of last year. It's called The Obstacle is the Way. Um by Ryan Holiday. It's about a book about stoicism. And it just talks about like, hey man, you're gonna hit obstacles and you have to go straight for it. We don't try to get around it. We don't not talk about it. Like we hit these obstacles head on. And and that was, you know, I think the biggest difference from having a winless season last year to going and winning some of the biggest races of the year this year and bring home a championship. So it's I guess my I the best way I can sum it up is that we you guys have been Blaney fans. You've been in the trenches with us, right? Like we're all in this together and we have all, I include you guys in on this team. We have all lost races every single way that you can possibly lose a race. And before the championship race at Phoenix, there was a lot of that noise, right? How are they going to lose it this time? What's going to happen? Even Talladega, Martinsville, all that stuff because of what happened the year before. And there's a song that my uh, kids listen to, and it's like, we're going on a bear hunt, got my banana. And it's, but it says something. It says, I'm not scared. And it's like, you can't go under it. You can't go over it. You can't go around it. You got to go through it. Right. And like, we went through it. We didn't go around it. We didn't go over it. We didn't go under it. We went straight through it. We faced all the bad things head on. We had all the hard conversations. And that's how we got through the other end. Yeah, I, I know from listening to your the podcast you're on that you do a great job every week of, of explaining, um, you know, sometimes it's something that didn't even the driver, the driver might have done. And people don't want to hear that. But, you know, too deep in the box, not deep enough in the box or 
something like hidden hidden on pit road, like following the car that you're pitting behind and needing to leave a gap so that you guys don't get run over. Um, people don't, it's never, I guess, maybe been explained. And, and it's a great thing that you do on your podcast. Hopefully more people find that podcast every week um, so that you can explain those things to them. Because you don't just explain the 12 team. You explain anything that might have happened during during pit uh, pit pit stop. And uh, I think it's great information you give every week there. Yeah, it's really, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff on pit road. And I, I think that um, the pit reporters and everybody do a great job, but just analyzing pit road, we're just scratching the surface of, because there's a lot of stuff that like all these teams invest millions of dollars into their pit department is a huge, huge, just asset of a race team now, <clears throat> because there's really no easier way to pass cars than there is on pit road or B path. Um, and just explaining why it happened, what happened, instead of just saying, oh, they sucked, they lost four spots, right? Because you can come in and do a 9-5 and gain four spots. You can come in and do a 9-5 and lose four spots the next time. Well, why? What happened? Or why did they do a 10 flat? Did this guy just suck and miss a lug? No, no, no. no. Okay, watch. Let me, let me explain to you what happened, where they lost time. And it starts getting super interesting when you understand – what it is now there's a point where you start making excuses right but you just look at it with your blinders off okay where could because that's all my life has been right figuring out where to gain hundredths and tenths of a second so if i can use that knowledge to make the, the viewers experience a little bit better and you have a deeper understanding of it that's what it's all about mm-hmm. yeah the um you know these last two years you've had this whole new um you know whole new way of pitting with with the single lug nut um kind of tell people a little bit about left hand pull and right hand pull and how that's changed and is you know are there any changes coming this year too um this is the first year that i feel like i've taken an off season because we went straight from 2021 doing five lug nuts right into doing one lug nut and none of us knew anything about one lug nut we had 10 weeks of practice before we went to the daytona 500 and hell, when we got to the Daytona 500, we weren't even sure that the wheels were going to go on the car because we didn't know if the Dalpin holes were big enough. Um, so there was just a lot of unknowns. And through, I don't know, call it 30, 40 years of five lug nut pit stops, whenever the woods started doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Up until 2021, we would see new stuff happen that we never thought would happen. Like with when high-res cameras came out, we'd see different problems. So we were still working through problems after 30 years of developing this pit stop. Okay, so now we're going to do a whole different pit stop with all new equipment and go to the Daytona 500 next week, right? It's like, okay, we had to work through all of those problems. And now you're going to do less work, right? You're going to hit one lug nut instead of five. So what does that mean? It's going to be easier? Oh, no, 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 it's not going to be easier. We're going to go two seconds faster than we've ever done it before. So it's just like, and then everybody, it was like each week, if you were the top dog one week, just wait three weeks and you'd be 10th or 11th. There'd be somebody three tenths faster than you. So I started out right-handed like a lot of people did, changing with a gun in my right hand, pulling the trigger with my right hand and pulling with my right hand. Well, from the time it goes to let off the trigger, to grab the wheel, to pull it and roll it, that's like three or four tenths of a second. So last season, off season, I went straight from right-handed to changing left-handed. Because even though we ended the season as a, you know, as a good pit crew, my pit coach said, "Well, 
Do you want to win the championship? Do you want to be great? Do you want to be one of the best on payroll? Because if you do, you got to do this. And I really didn't want to, but he, you know, he said, look, if you want to, if you want a spot starting on this car, you're going to have to do it. Um, so that was frustrating. That was really, really hard. You know, it, the, the growing pains of that really cost us a good finish at California because we got, um, I missed my button and put us behind. We lost like five or six spots. Then we came in the next stop and the hose got under the car um, because it was just a totally different way to pull yeah. a hose as well. We lose like 15 spots. We end up, someone misses a shift. We blow the nose off the car when we probably have the best car at the racetrack. So like that sucked. But I was like, well, we we kind of knew that we were going to have a, a little bit of issues learning how to do it. And because of that, we got better as a team. But it came with some crucifixion, too, uh, you know, whether it be on Twitter or even in the shop. But, like, that was part of the process, unfortunately. You mentioned that winless season in 2022 outside of winning the All-Star race. Um, but – that team still at points of the year, like led the points had a kind of, he got us kind of like a crazy run through the playoffs. That was just like all about survival over and over again between Daytona and Bristol um, and some other points Um, just miss. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, some mistakes were made down the line that kept you guys out of the championship for, Um, I mean, we can say it's Ryan. Ryan admittedly has said it multiple times, even in his championship press conference that he made mistakes in 2022. We guys had, arguably the best car at Phoenix that year um, probably was heartbreaking standing there watching Ryan run second when probably could have had a shot to win it. But was there any confidence that grew from that experience in 2022, knowing that, you know, the pit crew was coming together um, outside of a couple of mistakes, the driver was plenty capable of winning a championship. And obviously that happens in 2023, but did you kind of see a light in 2022 at all, knowing that um, the next year could be your year? I told I told Roger Penske at the at the championship party we're gonna do this again next year for the twelve. Like I I knew that I knew that we were a championship caliber team then, and I believe in our team and everybody on it now. And I saw what it you know I saw the fire it put in Ryan and the maturity like really that there's there's nothing that'll mature you more than like a gut punch like that. Not only did we lose the championship. And we were very happy. Joey Logano was one of my best friends, and I trained with his pit crew every day. Right, Those guys are like my family. I'm with them sometimes more than I'm with my family. So, so happy to see them win. But when you lose and it's that close to you, there's also a little bit of bittersweetness where you're like, damn, that should have been me. Right? So it was a very weird sensation because there was nothing that was bitter towards those guys. Like, I couldn't have been happier for my teammates but I couldn't have wanted that more for myself and seeing how close it was and seeing how our team, seeing how close it was, they felt the same exact way. And, you know, Jonathan Hassler has done such a good job getting this team together. And, you know, we, we work out together. Everybody gets like, I know it's, it's dumb to say, but everybody gets along. Like there's no throwing each other under the bus. There's no, you know, if Ryan, slides through the pit box or Ryan makes a mistake. There's no pointing fingers at him. And if, you know, the pit crew inevitably is going to make a mistake every now and then, and the road crew's not saying, oh, these guys suck. It's how do we fix it? What are we doing to fix it? And everybody's pulling the rope in the same direction. I would have to say, um, you mentioned him, Jonathan Hassler. That's a guy with a thankless job 
that I think doesn't get enough credit, especially from fans. I mean, I know uh, we go from having Jeremy for a long time. So everybody was just used to Jeremy that then the switch up to Todd Gordon, who's a championship winning crew chief has a much higher profile ends up having like a radio career and stuff after that. So a lot more people know Todd. And then you have Jonathan that, you know, just kind of coming out of this engineering role uh, to be a crew chief. But um, I just think he doesn't get enough credit. If anybody ever says anything bad about Jonathan Hassler on Twitter, you send them straight to me. If they can bash us all day long, that's fine. Right. But there's nobody that works harder than that guy. That son of a gun stares at graphs all day long. I don't even know what kind of graphs he's staring at. Every time I go in his office, I'm like, what the hell are you staring at? There's a reason that car was so good at Phoenix, and he tirelessly worked on it. And he's just a salt-of-the-earth, salt-of-the-earth person. Um, and there's, and I will take absolutely no Jonathan Hassler hate from anybody that has to say anything. Didn't you encounter a little bit of a medical issue um, and how did that coming back from that, uh, that issue, um, what was the challenge like getting back into being physical, um, yeah. getting back into the, into the, going to the ropes of, uh, being a pit crew member again? Yeah. So I went to, uh, New Jersey the couple of days before Pope and I drove up, left, brought the kids up there, um, ended up Saturday morning before Pope and I having to get my appendix out while I was in New Jersey. Uh, so 10 out of 10 recommend missing Pocono, Watkins Glen, <laughs> Indy, Michigan, and Richmond. But I think, and, and I've said this, so yeah, I had to sit out a couple of races. Thank God we have Pam Brown, who is our athletic trainer. Um, I worked with her tirelessly six days a week on recovery, staying strong enough. And when I came back for Darlington, I was, I came back for Daytona. <clears throat> I was 15 pounds lighter and stronger than I was when I went. Like it was maybe one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life because I've never being on the road for my whole adult life. I've never taken five weeks off ever. Right. It was kind of like a reset and a recharge. And I think the one thing that me that I, that I was proud of sitting back, right. It wasn't me that did it, but it was, I was just proud of our team is there was a point in time where we couldn't get anybody to pit the 12 car and do worth a damn, right? There was a culture there where it was just very challenging to pit the car, to do a good job. You guys have lived it, right? It was like, what's going to happen next? And we plugged in a 21-year-old kid, a Joe Dilly, and he did a seamless, great job. And the culture for that we've built on that car now, for him to be comfortable enough to perform and everybody accept him and set us up for a championship run, I think that's what I was most proud of last year other than winning the championship is like we have built a badass culture on this car in just, you know, one year's time. You were uh, talk about um, winning uh, this past off season. Uh, you do a little bit of winning, uh, getting back into racing uh, these last, uh, last two or three years, right? You've been doing some uh, indoor racing. I've been doing it for almost nine years now. Is that, is that how many it is now? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This year, this, this off season, I drove, uh, I started off driving for liquid Lusaconi, um, who is just a legend out of Philadelphia, super modified guy, indoor midget guy, sprint cars. Um, so I went to the rumble in Fort Wayne, which is kind of up in your neck of the woods. A lot of sharing guys, a lot of sprint car guys there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we actually won the rumble in Fort Wayne in a, in a, a full national midget. 
um, Friday night, and then Saturday we broke a motor. But you know, we got we got a win at, at the Rumble, um, and then loose car got like a cool championship belt, and then the indoor auto racing series uh, that races in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and Atlantic City, New Jersey, uh, with my own TQ midget <clears throat> that I. I bought that car with my truck tire change of money when I used to change tires on trucks and I'd get paid cash. I kind of squirreled all that away and bought that car. And we're now second, you know, nine years later, we're second on the all time win list. We've won two championships with it. And it's, it's just so much fun. And so I've got the same guys, the same car and motor that I've started with. And, uh, we just go up there and, and have an absolute blast in the winters. And, you know, I, I said that at the, I said at the Steve post at the end of that, talk about building a good culture right that that really really helps me with that you also used your i guess all that fab shop knowledge that you had to build a street stock too in the last couple years right didn't you uh run that a couple places too yeah so carl fredrickson with speedway illustrated magazine um we built a me and jerry kelly who jerry kelly was the car chief for joey logano with paul wolf um we I actually reached out to Carl Fredrickson from Studio Illustrated because we built a dirt modified uh, first. And we, we took an old car that Kyle Stricker had out of the weeds uh, that was just wrecked. And we, I think we called it, uh, man, what did we call it? Whatever. We, we revitalized this car. Resurrection is what we called it. So we took an old car, chassis number three Longhorn. It was like the first modified Longhorn ever built. Um, it was wrecked, it had weeds grown through it, it, had ant piles in it. We blasted it, put a clip on it, we built it. We built a badass race car. We documented it in Speedway Illustrated magazine. We brought it to the world finals in Charlotte with Kyle Strickler driving it. First lap on the track, we missed practice. First lap on the track, it set quick time, won the heat race and won the feature. So he never went on the track without it being in first place. Um, and then we took Joe the Gano to Volusia in it, ran Bristol with it, <clears throat> and uh Ended up selling that. And then, yeah, I did a, did a, um, when they announced that they were going to run Wilkesboro with the racetrack revival, uh, Carl Fredrickson, again, from Speedway Illustrated, had a dirt street stock. And I told him, I'm like, I'm thinking about doing this. He's like, I got a car, you can have it. And it was here like two weeks later. And I chalk cut re- rebuilt <laughs> that thing. Uh, we went to Wilkesboro. We documented that in Speedway Illustrated as well. We had our fair share of problems, but at the end of the day, we came home with a third place finish and got to go around Wilkesboro with the old, you know, the old surface. It was really, really cool. Do you see driving um, at the grassroots level or whatever level level you want to as something you would want to do post pit crew career? Because I mean, you're not going to be a pit crew member forever, um, but I'm sure you're still going to be want to be involved in the sport. Would you would you want to explore that, or would you want to explore more options maybe within the in a NASCAR organization? Both for sure. I uh, I do it now, right? I just fly up to Stafford, go to Wall Stadium when I can. Uh, it's it's tough though. Like as much racing I I could do, I have a you know great car owner Mike Davini um, from New Hampshire, and he wants to do a bunch of races with uh, asphalt modifies, and it's just tough because you know I take my job as a tire changer really seriously and I'm not going to do anything that's going to put me in jeopardy of not being at a hundred percent come Sunday morning. So I have to be very selective with my races that I do. Um, so it has to be like a midweek show, something that's not, you know, the week of the Coca-Cola 600, you know, (laughs) stuff, stuff like that. Um, but I found with short track racing, an old school driver, Lenny Boyd, told me 
don't confuse a bad effort with being better than no effort at all. So I really only pick races that I can put a hundred percent towards. That's why the indoor auto racing series fits my, my profile or fits, you know, fits our racing profile very well. I'm also building an asphalt modified right now because I uh, hate money and don't value my time. So I'm going to run Bowman gray, April 20th. It's the Saturday before Talladega. Uh, so we're going to do some fun stuff with that. So yeah, I'll always be a short track racer. Um, I'll probably do more of it when I retire, but I'm also, uh, really in you know, I always want to work in the sport and my passion is, is, is working in NASCAR for sure. Well, you have, um, you have your own business too, right? With, uh, flow coat. Um, yeah. Tell people a little bit more about that. Cause uh, I see some Instagram pictures, some great stuff. Um, are you mainly supplying NASCAR or are you, are you taking outside people or. So I was actually in a, it's funny how this started. I was in the gym with our rear tire changer, Zach Bryce. He was on the 22. I was on the 12, I think then, or, and I was like, man, I, I want to do something for myself. I want to build something myself. He's man, you should start powder coat. My cousin does it. And I looked into it and fast forward four or five years and, I've got a, I started kind of as a hobby because it was like the same day he told me I should do that, that Randy LaJoy told me, man, I need a powder coater uh, to do my seats. And I was like, maybe this is a sign. So we started flow coating um, kind of as a hobby uh, out of my buddy, Greg off access paint shop. I had a little oven and a little spray booth back there. And I used to just get powder all over everything that he had. Um, and fast forward to today, we've got four or five employees full time, just uh, digging in there. And we have done this off season. We have done all the pit equipment you'll see on pit road for Hendrick, RCR, Penske, front row, Rick Ware, a lot of Gibbs stuff, like almost every team that you can think of. We're doing all their stuff. 2311. We just did all of their stuff, all their stuff from their new shop, along with <clears throat> a lot of canopies, a lot of like a lot of different, um, just a lot of the architectural stuff. Obviously, racing is our is our backbone. We do all of the Joy seating seats, all of Butler seats, a lot of race cars, all of Alex Bowman's cars that you see at the Chili Bowl, all of Alex Bowman's sprint cars. Uh, you name it, we do just every SRX car that you've ever seen compete. We powder coated every part and piece on that, even the gold wheels. Um, so I'm really proud of like what we've been able to do for the uh, racing industry and the and the friends we've been able to meet through that. But man, owning your business, owning your own business is a lot of work. One fun question for you um, that we'd like to ask some people from time to time. If you had the skill sets, now you've been like in, worked in the shop, you've worked as a, you've been a driver yourself, you've worked on a pit crew. If you had the skill set, is there any other um, position on the team, crew chief, engineer, um, anything that if you could jump into tomorrow that you think would be something fun to do? Dude. that you'd like to do yeah it'd be the driver for sure i won <laughs> i won we lost you fix it i'd be the best driver ever yes yeah um i mean obviously the, the driver role is just unmatched right the, the yep. compensation you get the the free time you get but you have to be great you know you have to be great at what you do you your butt's on the hot seat every year um but, but yeah i always you know before I met my wife, my, I met my wife. She was Jimmy Johnson's. Uh, she worked in marketing and she worked at Team Lowe's Racing with Jimmy Johnson. She was on the road doing uh, social media for for Lowe's pretty much 
for lack of a better term, she was marketing girl for the 48 team. And, you know, before that, I just wanted to be a car chief, tire changer. There's a guy named Todd Ziegler, super old school guy. He was awesome. He was like, he was speaking about left-handed tire changing. He was the first car chief I ever worked for. And he was a left-handed tire changer uh, for Jane McMurray, 26 crown Royal car. And he was the car chief and the front tire changer. And I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a car chief, car chief and the tire changer. And then I'm going to work my way to be the crew chief and I'm run this place one day. And, uh, as the sport progressed, you had to pick one. And once I met my wife and I realized we we're going to have a family leaving on Thursdays and being gone all weekend and coming right back and going right back to the shop. I mean, it's a grueling life and you sacrifice a people like I know that we talk about, again, it's, it's talked about how much we sacrifice to race for a living, but I mean, it's, it's even more than you would think. Um, and it's, it's not so much like, it's, it's the small stuff, right? It's the donuts with dad that I got to do this morning. It's, it's the, the daddy daughter dances. It's the, it's the being there when your kid needs you, right. That you are just not home for, uh, and you're trying to do it on zoom. And it's, it's those little things that are tough. And I made that decision right then that like, no, I'm going to pursue this picker stuff. Cause it gives me the most free time to be there for my family. I have to fly out Sunday morning. I come back Sunday night. I could drop my kids off in the morning and go to pit practice. Um, so, I am super happy where I am in my career. I'm very thankful to be on the team I am. And unless I can go drive these things, then I, then I will, uh, I'll keep jumping out in front of them. So you mentioned in 2022, you told uh, Mr. Penske that the 12 car was going to win the championship. You guys did go out and do that in 2023. No one in this elimination format has gone back to back at winning a championship. Um, what is a successful 2024 to you? Do you have to go back to back or you just looking to win, win some more races? Starts in two weeks. <clears throat> we got to get this Daytona 500 monkey off our back with Ryan. I mean, I know we did it. I, I was lucky enough to do it with Austin, but there's no better, there's no better racer than, than Ryan Blaney on a super speedway. This number speak for himself. Obviously we've lost Josh Williams, but enter Timmy Fidoa who is a guy that's done it himself. He's won championships uh, with the four car. And I'm sure he's hungry because who did we beat at Talladega? Yep. <laughs> the four car and Timmy Fidoa. Um, so yeah, Josh will be missed, but man, I'm so fired up to get down the speed weeks with Ryan, especially after Talladega being a must win. And we went out there and did it. Um, this sport never owes you anything. Uh, you have to earn it always. But I'm, I mean, I can't say, and I'm just going to keep saying how excited I am to go down there. But I think it starts with Daytona, and and you know, it's it's the same. It's business as usual. We prepare each and every week to be a championship team. Um, and at the end of the day, if you're working at Team Penske and you don't win the championship, it's not a successful year. Well, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for giving us your time. I think we got some really good stories and insight from you. And uh, we definitely wanted to, we've been wanting to pick your brain for a long time and really glad that uh, you're able to come on and chat with us. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me, man. It's like I said, before we started, <clears throat> it's guys like you, the backbone of the sport, you guys would make, makes it go around and, and we appreciate you guys. And I look forward to seeing you some races this year. Absolutely. Thanks. That was Ryan Flores, the front tire changer for Ryan Blaney's number 12 team Penske Ford Mustang. 
like I said, Steve, this feel like this has been a long time coming, getting Ryan Flores onto this episode of the podcast. We've been such loyal listeners of Stacking Pennies over the last couple of years, When even when he's been on and off of the 12 car. Luckily, he's been on the 12 car for, what, about a year and a half now, wins the championship with them, and um, really, really great interview to kick the year off. Yeah, you know, it's like I said earlier, um, there's so much insight there, um, and there's so much to learn from him you know, about listening to uh, whether it's how you do your job and how you handle adversity, um, you know, because he had a heck of a year last year. He had a lot of things going on. And, um, you know, he's a winner, though. And that's the thing is, is guys like him, it's great to hear from them and hear how, the, how they, you know, do things, how to handle things and what makes them tick because you can learn so much from them. And, uh, you know, Stacking Pennies is a great, great podcast every week. And you'll notice we'll refer you to that show um, sometimes because he, his segments on there are very important. Um, he's trying to teach people, educate people on what happens up and down pit road every week, uh, not just for the team, you know, team 12, but for, you know, all the different guys, when something happens and the pits are on fire, um, you can turn into stacking pennies and uh, he'll probably be able to tell you what happened and why. So next week's show, we're going to feature more of a Daytona 500 slash season preview episode. And as we said uh, a little bit earlier as well, we're going to feature another interview with a number of member of Team 12, and that's going to be the brand new spotter for Ryan Blaney, and that is Tim Fidoa. So if you were listening to uh, the radio traffic at The Clash, you got to hear Tim a little bit for the first time, but he's really preparing for a big debut in the Daytona 500, you know, biggest race of the year. And that's a super speedway race. And that's a, a lot of pressure when you're spotting for a guy like Ryan Blaney and his super speedway prowess for sure. So thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of the Team Blaney podcast. You can interact with us on Facebook and X at Team Blaney and on Instagram and TikTok at team.blaney. We also like to encourage you to support the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. Ryan's official charitable organization benefits brain health causes like UPMC Sports Medicine and the Alzheimer's Association. To learn more, visit ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org or follow them on Facebook, X, and Instagram. For my co-host, Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time on the Team Blaney Podcast. Good night, Brussels. Check out the TikTok. Well, thanks everybody for coming. I hope you enjoyed it.